We have so many different programs that we manage that impact life safety. And while we need to be experts at them, we need to be continual learners. We need to be curious and we need to push boundaries and be disruptive, which it requires some risk taking, but it also requires being humble. You're listening to the Employee Safety Podcast from Alert Media, a podcast for professionals responsible for the safety and well-being of their employees. Each episode features an interview with a leader in employee safety to discuss how to protect your employees from a wide array of threats, from severe weather to a global pandemic. Let's get into the show. Hello, and welcome to the Employee Safety Podcast, where we discuss insights and ideas for how to protect your most valuable asset, your people. I'm your host, Peter Steinfeld, and I'm joined today by Bridget Guerrero. She currently serves as the Global Security Operations Manager at GoDaddy and has had a long career in security and intelligence. Hey, Bridget, how are you? Hi, Peter. Thanks for inviting me onto your podcast today. Look forward to talking to you. So great to have you on the show today, and I'm excited to hear more about your ideas for advancing corporate security through the three C's, collaboration, curiosity, and continual improvement. But before we begin... Can you tell our listeners a bit more about your role at GoDaddy? I currently manage global security operations for GoDaddy, and I know that that term can mean different things to different people. So when I first got to GoDaddy, we were a very small team. So I managed the whole corporate security topic. So that was physical security systems over to what is known as sort of the softer skills of corporate security. And fortunately, I had a colleague come in about a year and a half ago to take over physical security systems. So now I manage those topics that I actually prefer to dig into each day, and that's global monitoring, critical event management, our workplace violence program, and travel and event security. Okay, excellent. Well, I was researching your background before this interview, and frankly, I was pretty blown away by your impressive career that spans so many different things. The military, doing intelligence gathering and analysis, nonprofit work, and of course, corporate security. Can you give our audience just a brief overview of that background? Sure. You know, I look to the title of your podcast and that middle C is curiosity. And I think my career path has demonstrated my interest in or my curious kind of background and nature, I should say. Yeah. I started my professional career out as a, as a Marine Corps officer. So I was both a communications and an intelligence officer. And then I migrated over to the Department of Homeland Security for a few years to work as a senior intel officer there. And then had an opportunity to follow my spouse overseas to Romania and Turkey, where I completely changed gears, worked with UNHCR, and I started a nonprofit for refugees and asylum seekers. So I did humanitarian operations for a couple of years. When we returned home, I decided to go back to security consulting and started a small security consulting business where I learned how to seek and win government contracts. And then after passing that over to my spouse to run, decided to go into the corporate security domain and went to Microsoft Global Security and then found this great opportunity at GoDaddy. So kind of a circuitous path, but really interesting and, and always fun. Yeah, absolutely. And I think by taking that securitist route, it probably gives you a much different perspective than a lot of other people might have. So that's fantastic. It has been interesting for sure. <laughs> <laughs> fantastic. That's wonderful. All right. Well, let's get jump into it. So it seems that intelligent work was a primary focus of your career from the beginning, both the gathering of information and assessment of impact through analysis. 
generally speaking, and please don't reveal any secrets that will get us in trouble here or, or get you in trouble, but can you tell us how you would respond to requests for intelligence early on in your experience and what that process looked like? Sure. So I think you're, you know, touching upon work that I did in the human domain. And yes. And it, it is a, a really interesting topic, an interesting type of work to do. And I think the most important thing when you're supporting customers in collecting information is to determine or understand the why behind the ask because you don't have the maybe the time or the access to the target to collect intelligence. So you have to be really organized. You also have to be really creative and you have to know that why. You have to know that from the start so that you can provide them useful information. You only may only have one shot at getting it. So you have to be, I think, really organized and, and understand the need. There's, a, you know, at times a high degree of risk associated with that and the information is generally used for, you know, sensitive reasons. So you have to get it right. You have to deliver both what you know and also provide context on what you don't know or what you weren't able to find. So I think that both ends of that spectrum are really important. Yeah, accuracy is so critical because if you say the wrong thing, the next time you provide something, people just don't believe you. That's very true. Yeah. Well, when you move to the Department of Homeland Security, how would you go about connecting the dots on intelligence to assess potential impact? Yeah, good question. You know, you need access to lots of ingests, timely, accurate information. So at the Department of Homeland Security, I worked mostly in that monitoring and warning world. And it was very important to be able to fuse multiple sources of information to understand the scope of impact for our organization. And, you know, you had to really not just have a series of ingests, but you also had to have sort of standing layers of context so that mm. you could put, you know, that information, you could lay it over those contextual layers and even do that, you know, through my, you know, really a lot of that in my work today, you have to know, hey, how is this going to impact our facilities? How is it going to impact our people? How is it going to impact our customers? And so in order to do that, you have to have both the feeds and you have to have the context. And I think a big learning point for people who may be newer to the domain is to understand and know that first reports frequently aren't clear. They can be misleading. And I think, you know, I've in many places that I've worked, there's been a relationship with our leadership where we have to teach them and inform them that when we're reporting on things that are, you know, potentially very impactful, it's important to get them the information, but also let them know that there's a chance that it could shift. And, you know, as we start to pair it with additional contextual layers. So, you know, developing those ingest processes, you know, and then eventually automating what you can so that you can be, you can do it more quickly and you can add more contextual layers into it to paint that picture. I would assume that when you get information from a source that's more trustworthy, that gets bubbled up quickly and it's the stuff that's a little less known or trustworthy that might take a little bit longer to digest? Oh, that's definitely true. And again, providing that context to leaders, you know, sometimes there are threats that 
you know, from a diligence standpoint have to be shared, but you really have to provide that context on, is it, you know, just as you mentioned, what is the sourcing? What is the likelihood? What is the potential impact? What is the timeline? You know, and, and so sometimes you can buy time and gather more information or intelligence to corroborate or to, to debunk basically that threat. You know, it's, it's a, there's an art and a science to it, right? So how do you go about determining, like, if you get information that's not entirely accurate yet, or you don't think it is, is it okay to withhold that for a little bit, maybe a few minutes, a half an hour before you release it, because perhaps releasing it could do more harm than good? Oh, definitely. I mean, you, know, you have to have good leaders who are working in operations environments who can determine how long they can hold that information to pair it with other information to provide context to dig into it. So many of these things are going to be false alerts. So you you know I can't give you a specific time that you would you would hold it. It would it would depend on a number of things. You know, if it's a threat to an event and we dealt with this during the elections back in 2004 it must have been. You know, there's a specific start time to polling and if right. you have a threat that's coming in against polling centers, you know, you better suss that out quickly and or you know determine what your responsibility is in escalating it so that other decision makers can partner with resources immediately to determine whether that threat is legitimate and viable. Right. Well, how did your early work in intelligence and threat analysis inspire the humanitarian efforts with your nonprofit organization? Well, that's, that's a good one. I think the work that I did in the intel domain really helped me to understand, actually, I think it was the help in the humanitarian domain, helped me understand the importance, I should say, in, in our responsibility to be thorough in our analysis if you're working in the intel domain. So, you know, our findings and our recommendations that we would give to leaders would result in a change in changes to policies or actions against specific people. And I think as Intel professionals, you know, we have a, a great deal of responsibility to do it right. And, you know, back working at DHS, our guidance to DHS components may have resulted, you know, in people being turned away at ports of entry because they may have met a threat profile. But, you know, six months later, a year later, I was advocating for people to be resettled to, you know, the United States or to other places. And I just, I found out so much when I worked on literally the other side of the table. I saw the faces of real people mm -hmm. and I saw real families, you know, who had been through really challenging situations. You also know as an Intel officer that, you know, there are stories in there that may not be authentic either. So it's, it, you know, it wasn't my job at that point to dig into any of that. It was to provide people support when they were really vulnerable, regardless right. of how they'd gotten there or where they wanted to go. So it was a really interesting place to be after working in the Intel field for so long. Well, why did you decide to transition into corporate security roles? Well, you know, I, I we came back to the United States. And when I worked with humanitarian leaders overseas, you know, in Romania Turkey, I should say, they gave me, they taught me the term pioneer humanitarianism. And, mm. you know, when you're in those places, it's, you know, it's, it's a little bit dangerous. It's rigorous. You have to be really creative. You know, one day you may be standing in front of a Turkish official's desk trying to advocate for, you know, insulin for an asylum seeker. And the next day you are, you know, providing food handouts to a hundred families. And I found it to be 
the type of work that was really stimulating to me. And when I came back to the United States, I actually did start to work for Catholic community services for a while. And it, it just didn't, you know, scratch that itch the way that the work did overseas. And there were so many great people doing it here in the U.S. that I decided, hey, I've got some college tuitions ahead of me. And, <laughs> you know, and also I had very young twins. I just had two more oh, kids. Wow. And so I decided to start a small company from home while I was, you know, spending time at home with them. And that's actually why it's why I started it. And then I started to explore the fact that, you know, doing little investigative work wasn't going to pay any kind of bills. So I then learned to seek and win some government contracts. And that was exciting as well to explore that. Well, that's fantastic. So the government world and the corporate world can be quite different. What was it like switching to working for larger companies like Microsoft? And were there different challenges or procedures that you had to deal with? Well, there are different challenges and procedures. I really love to put myself in new and challenging situations. So I, I loved jumping in to the world of private, you know, corporate security at Microsoft. Working for a huge company meant though that, you know, you're not going to be a big fish. And right. that can be really hard for people who have come from leadership positions in the military, in the government, in law enforcement, or even if you're, you know, you've been running your own small business, you suddenly are just a small fish. And, you know, so that can be challenging, but I say that you know, if you can look at, if you, you know, I would try to look at the positives all the time and working for a company like Microsoft exposed me to just amazing resources that I had never touched before. So, you know, we also had a really interesting mandate. Five of us were involved in supporting the transformation basically of a traditional security operations environment into an, this Intel driven ops led environment. And it was really challenging. It was frustrating, challenging, and, you know, I, I was able to reach back into a lot of the work that I'd done previously to, to work on basic process mapping, playbook development, you know, the incorporation of intelligence analysis into our work to provide value to the business. And I think, you know, it was great, you know, like reach back to my DHS days, most, you know, that was probably my work that I'd done that was most helpful in informing and supporting Microsoft. But, you know, now I also love working in a smaller company. Yeah, let's shift gears a bit and talk more about your work at smaller organizations. Why did you decide to move to a smaller company and how's it different from working at a really big organization? Well, you know, as I mentioned at Microsoft, you, you know, you are a small fish and I, I had no problem with being, you know, a part of the, the system. I loved it. I loved the support that I provided, but I knew that I could probably use my skills and talents more effectively at a smaller company where I could help inform and build programs, help steer the ship. And I, interviewed for the job and, and really connected with my boss, who is a very disruptive leader. And that I, yeah. I found to be stimulating and interesting too. You know, and GoDaddy as a company is, is very disruptive. We like to experiment. We're made up, made of curious, you know, it's a whole, it's a whole 10,000 group of curious people. So it, it's a great place to be. And then just the, the one thing I'd say is my boss, you know, really on a daily basis, he engages with with the leadership of the company to understand, you know, just the nuanced changes that the business is experiencing. And he conveys that to us really well. So the solutions that we're building really 
support the business. And I just, I love to be in an environment where I feel like I'm making an impact and I know I can do it there. Yeah. And that engagement at the top is so critical because if the top believes in what you're doing, that it makes it so much easier to enforce all the changes and improvements that you want to put into place. So speaking about that, what initiatives are you working on now? What have you done? Yeah, I agree with you. Really, I'm doing a lot of work to help shape our programs. It's been, this year is really a year that we're focusing on standards as our company grows bigger. So we've had some explosive growth and we have a global mandate. And if we are not standards focused, then it's nearly impossible to ensure that we're doing the right thing at the, you know, with respect to each of our different programs. So building standards, we're focusing as the company does and encourages us to do on agile development. So, you know, 80% solutions, the most viable, you know, the minimally viable solutions are, are things that we frequently roll out with constant iteration to improve processes. And so we're really becoming more, not even becoming, we've al- always been kind of an agile team, but we're maturing our ability to do that in a meaningful way. And and then also focusing on metrics to measure the progress and measure what we do so that we can, you know, share and sell our successes and continue to do our jobs well. Well, I like that you guys aren't I guess, hamstrung by analysis paralysis, which can really hamstring a lot of organizations. Instead, it's let's be agile. And then let's, like you said, watch the metrics because that will help you determine what's working and what's not. And you can course correct and iterate. Oh, that's true. I've learned so much about metrics through my work here. And I don't know if I've really emphasized that, that GoDaddy is an environment where we really encourage people to sit with you know, so the corporate security professionals, you know, we work with all of our stakeholders from human resources to our cyber teams, to our engineers who are building our solutions. And I think we can learn so much from working with other stakeholders in terms of understanding their needs, but also understanding the mentality of, you know, corporate yes. security professionals. Sometimes we're, we're a little bit rigid, but, you know, when I work with engineers, I see that they don't expect a solution to, to work the first, second or fifth time. And that, that agile mindset allows you to be open-minded to that evolution as you're building a platform or a solution. Yeah, without a doubt. So could you tell us just a little bit more about the three C's, collaboration, curiosity, and continual improvement? Sure. I, you know, as I sit here and think about these, and I, I think maybe I need to realign the words and, and go with curiosity, collaboration, and continual improvement. And that is, I think it's really important to analyze, you know, the way that you work, the way that we work, the way that we run our programs and be very critical of them so that we can understand how we can improve them. Once we get curious and start to dig into things to find out if we're really performing at peak performance in a domain, then we can collaborate with other partners to understand how we can improve our program to meet those customers' needs. As we identify that, we then prioritize our work and iterate and improve on those programs so that we are, you know, in the end, being more effective at what we do. Yeah, I love the process. I mean, it seems like as humans, nobody ever admits what's really going on initially. You have to be really curious and dig in behind that to find out what the real situation is before you can open up and understand the problem 
and then to your point, collaborate and continue the improvement process. That's I love the, I love your process. You know, I think that feedback loops are important yes. in this discussion. And, you know, if security professionals aren't hosting kind of roundtable quarterly security reviews, I encourage them to do that because that's when everybody, you know, you 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 provide some metrics and then you just open the floor to discussion. And I think that's when you start to find out when things are working or not working for your stakeholders or your customers, whatever you may call your partners. So feedback loops, I think, are, are an important part of this as well. And I like the idea of that quarterly review where you can show those metrics, because I think people don't realize until they see the numbers what's really going on. And then they see it and they're like, really? <laughs> I didn't realize it was that bad or that good or whatever it was. So it can absolutely open up the discussion. Yeah, I think in my current role at GoDaddy, I've used our leadership is very metrics driven. And when done right, and I think we do it well at GoDaddy, it really helps to generate just this very open discussion and lots of improvement in areas that you know you you may not have even seen before you got together with your your partners. Yep. Well, we like to end by giving our audience a piece of advice or some kind of practical tip that they can immediately implement to make an impact on their organization. So in your mind, what can the audience do today to help improve their company's security or safety culture? Well, I'd say, you know, this probably isn't, this is unusual maybe for a security podcast, but I'd encourage security professionals to embrace humility all the time. And, you know, to be servant leaders, I think our remit is huge. We have so many different programs that we manage that impact life safety. And while we need to be experts at them, we need to be continual learners. We need to be curious and we need to you know, push boundaries and be disruptive, which, you know, it requires some risk taking, but it also requires being humble and keeping your ears open, your eyes open to understand that there's things that you don't know that you need to know. And you need to wrap those into, you know, your operations to be more successful, you know, each year as you evolve. So that's probably the the parting advice that I would give to other leaders who are growing in the corporate security domain. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I love the idea of being humble because people tend to feel security and safety people <laughs> for whatever reason they do. And if they see that their team is actually very humble, it strengthens the relationship and security and safety only work when people buy into it. So that's huge. Totally agree. Definitely. Excellent. Well, Bridget, thank you so much for being on the show today. We really appreciate all your time and expertise. And if anyone listening has follow-up questions or would just like to connect with you, what's the best way for them to find you out there? I think the easiest way to find me is on LinkedIn. I'm active on LinkedIn and my last name is unique. So Guerrero is, you know, I, I know it'll be in the show notes, but Bridget Guerrero, they can find me there. Okay, excellent. Well, thanks again for taking time to join us on the Employee Safety Podcast. And for the rest of you out there, remember, nothing ever goes 100% according to plan in an emergency. So communication is incredibly important. If you can't communicate, you can't recover. Until next time. Alert Media is changing the way your leaders and response teams connect and communicate effectively when seconds matter. We provide our customers with a comprehensive solution for monitoring threats around the world and deploying fast, effective emergency communication. You need a panic-proof solution for high-stakes moments. In just a few clicks, your team can send a multi-channel notification to an impacted group of people and confirm their safety immediately. When employee safety is at stake, don't just communicate. Connect and confirm with a robust emergency communication solution. Visit alertmedia.com for more information.
You've been listening to the Employee Safety Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you're listening in Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give a quick rating of the show. Just tap the number of stars you think the podcast deserves. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.